HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This fifth and final episode in our special series celebrates the flavorful and nutritious fish of the Great Lakes. Geneva Langland, communications editor at the Michigan Sea Grant Program, will tell us about Freshwater Feast, a website from the Michigan Sea Grant Program that provides recipe ideas and inspiration on how to prepare Great Lake fish at home. And Chef Weedad, or Wee Mueller, gives us a seat at her chef's table as she discusses how she uses Great Lakes whitefish and trout with a fusion of flavors at the Kiwina Mountain Lodge in Copper Harbor, Michigan. Both Geneva and Chef Wee will be chatting with me a little later in the program. But now I want to welcome today's first guest, Brandon Schroeder. He's an extension educator with the Michigan Sea Grant Program, and he's here to discuss the details behind the Great Lakes Fisheries Heritage Trail. Brandon, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I love talking to folks about the Great Lakes because, uh, you know, and of course, I'm from Ohio and I am from the North Coast. Lake Erie is my lake. Um, but everybody around the Great Lakes, I feel, has such enthusiasm and with good reasons because there's a lot the Great Lakes have to offer, um, fish being uh, primary among them. So uh, as an extension educator, um, what comes to mind when you think about the, the fish of the Great Lakes? Yeah, Capri. So Lake Huron is is my lake, uh, and in my Michigan Sea Grant work, uh, a big portion of my work is is connecting with uh, with the Great Lakes fisheries and thinking about how do we use science uh, to take care of these awesome Great Lakes fisheries because we know they're so so valuable to us. And you know, I I, I can't help but think how rich uh, Michigan and the Midwest is in these Great Lakes fisheries. Uh, you know, you're thinking about roughly 180 species of fish. Uh, sw- wow. swimming around in our Great Lakes and their connected watersheds. And, um, you know, in my work with uh, recreational fisheries and tribal fisheries and commercial fisheries, um, I really just have the opportunity to see the bounty uh, and the values that these fish provide to us in so many ways. I, I think uh, in, in my head, there's really um, uh, 
several ways, right? So first, I think as a scientist of these fish as providing really important ecosystem Mm -hmm. Uh, functions and roles. Uh, you know, they're all a part of the fish fish community in a, a healthy, functioning, thriving ecosystem. Uh, they're also fun to catch, right? Uh, recreational anglers, there's uh, 1.8 right. million recreational anglers that fish on uh, the Great Lakes waters. Uh, and that's, you know, creates quite a bit of economic uh, value to the region. But uh, to, to your point, uh, these fish are also food and a tremendous uh, food source that can be sustainably harvested from our lakes, mm -hmm. whether you're fishing for fun or whether you're capitalizing on a, a really valuable and important commercial fishery. No question about it. You, you know, you've mentioned the importance of sustainability. Um, you know, in, in your work, do you work with um, whether it, it is um, commercial fisheries or recreational fisher, fishermen, um, about how they can fish sustainably in the Great Lakes to ensure that those ecosystems are, are not being damaged and, and that you know, we do continue to have uh, you know, a bounty of, of fish to be able to fish and eat. Yeah, I mean, what's really exciting about uh, the Great Lakes fisheries on all fronts is is uh, our Great Lakes fisheries are a really highly managed uh, fishery, um, and and in that way, they become a very sustainable fishery. Can you explain what that means that you're heavily managed? People might not know what that actually means in the context of of fishing. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I would consider the Great Lakes to be a, a model of sustainability um, across the world, uh, perhaps because of, of that, that intensive management. And so the management is going to look very different based on, on the, the different uh, types of fisheries. So recreational fishermen are managed uh, different than commercial fishermen. In fact, it, it's, it's, it's unique that we have a vibrant recreational fishery that, that coexists alongside a sustainable uh, commercial uh, fishery. And so some of the regulations uh, that you might see in fisheries are um, species regulations, which species you can catch uh, and harvest and keep, um, uh, uh, um, uh, the equipment or the gear uh, that you can use to harvest those fish. So commercial fishermen might be using nets, recreational fishermen using fishing, fishing rods. Uh, the seasons when you can or cannot harvest those fish, and then mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the the amount of fish, right? So you might look at size regulations or, or weight uh, regulations that limit the amount of fish that you can harvest. So some really intensive uh, um, management that goes with these fisheries. And I think that's important because uh, these fisheries over time have uh, changed tremendously and have uh, been the victim of a lot of human impacts from water quality to habitat changes. And we talk about historic overfishing in the Great Lakes. Um, historically, uh, in the late 1800s, we were harvesting 160 million pounds uh, of fish annually out of the Great Lakes, which was, was probably wow. a bit, bit much. But today, we still talk about issues like water quality and habitat and invasive species, a major issue facing our fisheries yes. today. But today, we do not talk about overfishing as a challenge in the Great Lakes fisheries because of that intensive management, which is really exciting. And for the, for the commercial fishery, uh, the food fishery, um, you're really talking about 41, 40 to 41 million pounds that are sustainably harvested every single year out of the Great Lakes waters. And that is significant because it's coexisting alongside a really, uh, a really big recreational uh, fishing 
uh, footprint across the Great Lakes. So two very different fisheries, uh, and that's not even to consider the tribal fisheries, but all of these yes. different values and how we harvest fish from the Great Lakes coexisting because of that management. Super exciting. That That is great. And, and as you've described it, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can see, you know, because there's been order basically created around the different types of fishing, the different types of, of fish and, and species, um, you know, you're able, and the seasons, as you mentioned, you're able to create that balance, it seems, to ensure that, you know, we're not overfishing right now as we were, uh, as you mentioned, in, you know, the, the 1800s. I want to touch briefly on invasive species because um, this is something that I know, you know, we've had a lot of concern about in Lake Erie with Asian carp. And, um, you know, I know that there are others uh, across the Great Lakes that um, could potentially jeopardize uh, the, the native fish that, uh, are, are populating the Great Lakes. What's being done um, to deal with those invasive species uh, to be able to protect uh, fish as a food source? Yeah, regardless of how you uh, value or participate in the Great Lakes fisheries, invasive species um, and the impacts they have um, uh, through ecosystem uh, change is the one um, driving challenge uh, that that we all have in common in terms of managing for a sustainable um, a fishery over time. And so, um, you know, in, in Lake Huron, recreational fishers uh, uh, in, starting in 2004 really saw a massive collapse in a very popular Chinook salmon fishery. And that was driven um, largely by invasive uh, zebra and quagga mussels, which collapsed uh, collapsed the food chain from the bottom up. They, they filter phytoplankton or floating plant plankton out of the water, which zooplankton or tiny little animal plankton feed on, which feed little fish, which feed big fish. Uh, and so what do, you, what do you do with invasive species? Well, we spend a lot of energy in, in our line of work um, monitoring for new invasives and being aware of potential invaders. Um, we, we, once they're here, um, you have to think about uh, management, which is a costly uh, a venture, and then, and then possibly, possibly mit mitigation. And I think, um, you know, why that's a, a, why that's a challenge uh, is because we feel that across the board. So I just described a recreational fishing challenge with the collapse of Chinook salmon fishing, which has recovered, but not to the extent uh, that of the historic days because uh, you have now less food available to that fish, uh, that fish um, uh, food web um, than we had uh, in the 19, uh, 1990s, uh, for example. But the commercial fishing on the other side, uh, whitefish, Great Lakes whitefish being uh, the primary target species there, is also feeling impacts from those same ecosystem changes caused by those invasive species. Um, I would add um, the expense piece and the management piece. I always talk about invasive species as a bi biological pollution. Uh, where we have chemical pollution or physical pollution, we can make the case we might be able to clean that up. But once invasive species are established, these are living organisms that are uh, surviving, growing, reproducing, and, and there's really not a way to permanently clean up uh, an established invasive living organism and sea lamprey. Sea lamprey uh, is really the case study for that. We spend uh, close to, to $20 million annually uh, through, through the Great Lakes and, and through, work through the Great Lakes Fishery Commission to manage uh, that sea lamprey, which is a, a parasite and a predator on a lot of important 
uh, game fish and food fish. And, it, and um, that management is necessary to maintain uh, sustainability of our fisheries. It's a cost that we'll bear every year um, in, into, the, into the future because in, uh, entire removal of sea lamprey is not likely an option in the foreseeable future, at least. Wow. Um, it's a really, really challenging issue, I know. Um, and it's it's incredible that, um, you know, the, the the ecosystems are surviving as well as they are, given the number of challenges um, that exist potentially from invasive species. And, and certainly that's a credit to uh, the work that, you know, so many scientists do do to try to uh, address this issue. Um, so, uh, you know, I want to turn back to kind of the bigger picture of the Great Lakes, um, you know, a, a place that not only, um, you know, has fish uh, to eat, um, but also has this incredible heritage um, that is celebrated uh, and needs to be preserved and is being preserved by a number of organizations, including the Michigan Sea, sea Grant. And uh, I am familiar with uh, a program that is going on about the, it's called the, the Great Lakes Fishery Heritage Trail. And I know that that you and um, some of the organizations that you're affiliated with are um, part of this collaborative effort to celebrate uh, the Great Lakes fisheries and the heritage um, that is attached to it. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what the Great Lakes Fisheries Heritage Trail is and what its objective is. Yeah. Um, you know, when we connect with fish in the ways that we do, um, we often get caught up in telling stories about our experiences uh, with those fish. And the, in my mind, the Great Lakes Fisheries Heritage Trail uh, network and partnership is really about um, thinking about those cultural uh, connections, those traditions, um, and th those histories uh, of the past, uh, how we participate in a fishery today, and how we um, value that fishery looking to the future. It's really a network and, and partnership of, of folks interested in fish, folks interested in history and heritage, I uh, think uh, museums and cultural centers, and uh, folks that are interested in getting people excited about our, our Great Lakes and caring for our Great Lakes through uh, education and these fishery connections. Uh, so this is a network and partnership. It's not an organization, but it's really a, a loose-knit uh, network of, of partners really um, thinking about all the different ways that we connect with fish, past, present, and future, and how we can uh, uh, capture um, capture those those cultural uh, histories and those stories and, and just keep, you know, get people excited about uh, our fisheries of today because of how we've connected with them through the past. Mm -hmm. What what organizations are involved in this kind of loose affiliation, as, as you mentioned? Yeah, so it's a really, like I said, a really neat group. So you have a lot of fishery interested uh, partners like Michigan Sea Grant or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or the, the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, uh, for example. Um, on the history side, um, you, you've got a lot of uh, uh, museums that have uh, fishing uh, histories or artifacts from their local communities. At, at some point, you think of the Great Lakes, every, um, every, every coastline had its own local, local fish town and, and fishing community and, and therefore fishing artifacts and fishing families and fishing stories. So these are museums uh, like the Michigan Maritime Museum in South Haven or the, the Bester Museum for Northeast Michigan in Alpena or the West Shore Fishing Museum in Menominee or Fishtown, which is not a museum, but an active, uh, an active fishery.
I am so glad that you brought this up because I was just going to ask, what's up with Fishtown and Fishtown Preservation Society? Yeah, but it's all of the, these these places um, around uh, the coastal Great Lakes that have an interest in interpreting and sharing our, our fisheries history. So I think the goals for this network have really focused around really collecting these stories, uh, researching, mm-hmm. archiving, uh, preserving or interpreting artifacts, collecting oral histories from fishermen, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that getting that wisdom um, captured, a lot of education interest. And then through um, the Great Lakes Fisheries um, Heritage Trail website, really trying to find a way to to share that that wisdom, that collective wisdom and knowledge, um, out 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 to the world. Yeah, I've noticed there's a map on um, that exists on the Great Lakes Great Lakes Fisheries Trail website um, that has a number of these things that we've just talked about. You know, markers all around um, Lake Michigan, parts of Lake Erie, Lake Huron, Lake Superior. Um, and, you know, showing, you know, here's where you, here's where there might be a market, a historical marker, uh, where you might be able to get fishing charters. And so it seems like this is at least one window in which, um, the public can start to understand and try to experience and find ways to experience this heritage around the Great Lakes. Absolutely. And that is really the intent of, uh, what this network envisioned in developing this website. So it's Great Lakes Fisheries. Uh, trail.org uh, is really just making this uh, collective information that's captured, you know, community by community available to a wider audience. And so in, in this interactive website, um, you, you, there's an, a section where you can click on things to do, uh, like go, go fishing or, or eat fish. Uh, there's another which is more geographically focused, places to visit. If you're traveling to Northeast Michigan or, or Northwest Michigan or, or Southwest Michigan, here's some fishery connected uh, things that you can visit and experience while you're in town. Uh, the partners we just talked about, uh, you can uh, get to meet them and, and, and navigate to their uh, websites and resources and, and people uh, through this site. Um, we have a, a section called Learn More, which is really the collection of, of books and educational resources and archives and, and a lot of the, the content that this group has collected over time. Uh, but the fifth category, which is my favorite, is the, the trail stories. And the trail stories are where we really try to connect the dots across the Great Lakes through threads uh, and storylines. And, and one of those would be a, a taste of the Great Lakes, uh, really thinking about how we could eat our, eat our way across uh, Michigan and the Midwest. And I think that's important uh, because, um, you know, we valued fish as food, um, you know, since since people have, have been on the shores of the Great Lakes. These are uh, lo- sustainably caught local food sources. You know, it's a high protein, fish is a high protein, that you can catch close mm-hmm. to home. It's fresh, healthy, again, sustainability. It's really the perfect uh, food uh, to, to value. And, and with that food comes lots of stories. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and looking at the um, this section of the website of trail stories from the Great Lakes Fisheries Heritage Trail, there are a number of things. Um, and you, you're right, it really does paint a picture, you know, the, you know, the fishermen uh, and fishing families and the life on the lakes and obviously the boats and the gear that you need. Um, kind of the history of those of the fishing ves- vessels, for example, we, we, you know, we've talked extensively about ecology here or not ex- 
could talk forever about that, but there's some bits and pieces here on, on ecology and foodways um, specifically. Uh, there's a section here uh, about about the foodways of, of Great Lakes and, um, you know, some, some great links uh, to be able to both find that food and get inspired to make your own uh, food from Great Lakes fish. Um, you know, so it really is, uh, I, I'm curious to know as well, um, with particularly with this oral history, uh, are you working at all with educational institutions, K to 12? You know, I, I know that you have a, a role in extension and, and there's always a community outreach and education when you're dealing with extension services usually. But um, with, with this particular content, um, are, it seems really relevant for um, learners of all ages. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, in our work with Michigan Sea Grant and our, our regional education uh, uh, center for Great Lakes Literacy, which is focused on um, connecting, supporting educators and connecting with youth. And then a uh, partnership in Michigan, the Great Lakes Stewardship Initiative, which mm-hmm. is a place-based education network and partnership. I think between those worlds of work, a core value is always asking the question of how do we bring youth voice into the work that we do? And that's yes. absolutely true here. Um, young people have, you know, that that enjoy fishing or enjoy the coastline, um, have a lot to learn, uh, you know, from from our our fisheries past, and um, it's it's a way of thinking about how the fishery they enjoy today has come to be. Uh, it's also uh, a great multi generational opportunity uh, to think about um, how parents or grandparents have connected in, with that fishery in the same way you have. But where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited is, is you mentioned oral histories, is uh, working with Alpena Public Schools in Northeast Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the opportunity to have a class and some awesome uh, young leaders work with the Besser Museum for Northeast Michigan to basically spend a handful of years going out into the community and interviewing commercial fishermen who worked on the waters of Northern Lake Huron, capturing uh, that video and capturing those interviews and and helping to develop some interpretive materials that bring uh, the history of the Lake Huron fishery to life. And and, and our our awesome students from Alpena Public Schools uh, did that work, right? So there's always an opportunity for youth not just to benefit from this work, but to contribute to this work. That's such that's such a great point, and I think a, a great place to um, wrap up our conversation because you know it, it's about preserving the past, but it's also about engaging for the future. And it seems like there's so much of the work that you're doing, and so much of the content that is being collected is uh, has that dual aim of both preservation, but also uh, persevering and and continuing on, uh, and to make sure that. Um, you know, the Great Lakes remain healthy for generations to come to continue to feed us with fish and, and also continue to um, to educate us and entertain us and, um, you know, be there for us to celebrate the Great Lakes. So, uh, Brandon, thank you so much for your time and uh, for sharing your knowledge. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, Capri, uh, I'll leave you with perch fries, fish boils, smoked fish, cedar plank, white fish with wild rice. Uh, I encourage everybody to partic- uh, join the Fishery Heritage uh, Trail Network experience and eat your way across uh, the Great Lakes. Uh, enjoy our, our valuable, awesome Great Lakes fish. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. 
I love that roundup. Thank you for for the for those pitches uh, of of fish food around the Great Lakes. I definitely sign me up. I am ready. Uh, those are some great examples, um, and we'll definitely get out there. Summertime is a wonderful time to check out the Great Lakes and eat around the Great Lakes as well. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. Time for a quick commercial. When we come back. I'll be joined by Geneva Langland, the communications editor at the Michigan Sea Grant Program and the writer behind Freshwater Feast. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro. In this episode, we've been talking about Great Lakes Fish, and how you can make great food with it. I'm now joined by Geneva Langland. She's the communications editor at the Michigan Sea Grant Program and the voice behind Freshwater Feast, a website from the Sea Grant that provides recipe ideas on how to make great fish at home. Geneva, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Capri. It's great to have an opportunity to share some of the awesome things that Michigan Sea Grant does in the world of fish. Well, first tell us, for those folks that aren't familiar with what a Sea Grant or Sea Grant program is, what is it and what does the Michigan Sea Grant program do? Yeah, so Sea Grant programs are part of a federally funded network of nonprofits that live at universities around the country. Any state that touches an ocean or a Great Lakes coast has a Sea Grant program. And our our funding comes through the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, and we're all tasked with helping to promote research and outreach and education about coastal issues. So since Michigan is surrounded by four out of five of the Great Lakes, all of our work is dedicated to Great Lakes issues, whether that's talking about fisheries or coastal resilience in the face of storms and climate change, or preserving biodiversity, getting kids excited about the Great Lakes. We do all sorts of work with uh, shipping and uh, lake sturgeon restoration, lots of great issues that we have our fingers in. Wow. It sounds like quite a depth and breadth of of, uh, situations that the Sea Grant does touch, um, all very important and relevant to the Great Lakes. And I think it might surprise people that aren't from the Midwest that there's actually a state that is surrounded by four of the five Great Lakes. So there you go, Michigan, you have that distinction. Yes, we have an abundance of wonderful uh, watery resources right at our fingertips, and it makes a a really exciting place to work to help get people um, excited about and connected to the resources that we have. And fish is definitely one of those resources that we talk about a lot. 
Well, and that's, you know, a great segue. You can tell that you're a comms person. <laughs> um, I, I know that the uh, Michigan Sea Grant does help uh, facilitate um, a number of resources online and offline, um, trying to connect individuals and educate individuals about um, you know, where to fish, how to fish, and where to get that fish if they want to eat it. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about those. Sure. So fishing as recreation, fishing as business, commercial fishing has been part of Michigan's heritage for as long as humans have lived in the state. And one of the projects that we work on is the Great Lakes Fisheries Heritage Trail, which is an effort to pull together uh, people who have connections to Michigan's maritime heritage. That might be those who work at museums or nature centers or who are active in the commercial fishing industry right now. People who um, work at restaurants that really focus heavily on serving freshwater fish that come out of the Great Lakes. So the Fisheries Heritage Trail is um, primarily based in a website where you can find a map that has all of these points for people who are interested in diving into Michigan's maritime and fishing history. So if you were going to vacation in the Thumb of Michigan and you wanted to find some interesting places that might have displays or museum exhibits or a library that has resources about uh, fishing heritage or the current state of the fishing industry, then you'd be able to find those resources on the Fisheries Heritage Trail. So that's a really exciting partnership that we've been happy to coordinate over the last few years. That's really cool. That's I mean, that sounds like a really fun way. I mean, I'm just thinking, looking forward to, you know, summer, summer vacation, um, you know, planning road trips and those sort of things. It sounds like a great opportunity for uh, parents, families um, to take a look at a website like this, which is greatlakesfisheriestrail.org. We'll have all of this in the show notes, but um, greatlakesfisheriestrail.org to check it out and see, you know, where to potentially go and learn more about this incredible heritage that that the Great Lakes uh, boast, particularly in Michigan. Absolutely. And then for folks who are maybe more interested about the fish they might find on their own plate, we have the Great Lakes Fresh Fish Finder website, which is a partnership that we've done with several of our Sea Grant programs in the Great Lakes area. Um, We've collaborated on this site. Again, it's, it's a map where you can find folks that provide fish or fish products in your area. So if you live in the Upper Peninsula, you live in Wisconsin, you live in in Chicago, you can go to this website, you can find people who might sell you bait fish for you to take out on your next fishing expedition. Or if you're looking for ornamental fish for your uh, decorative aquarium at home, or if you're looking to fill up your freezer with some great walleye that was pulled out of Lake Erie, the Fresh Fish Finder is a place where you can go find these local businesses, these these local producers, fish markets, people who are making smoked fish sausages, whitefish dips, all of these really mouth-watering products. Um, You can find those on the Fresh Fish Finder hub. Who knew there were so many different resources out there? And fish sausage, did I hear that correctly? Yes, I haven't had wow. it myself. I'm I'm not actually a seafood eater, but I know people who really swear by a fish sausage and the and a white fish dip. That's that's really a, a key uh, snack around here. 
Yep, I've had white fish dip. I, I'm going to have to track down this fish sausage. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but um, I'm going to actually have to go to freshfishfinder.org and see if I can find this for myself. But again, uh, what an incredible guide for uh, people that are curious about where they can find local seafood, local fish for a variety of purposes. Um, so I, I now want to turn to something that I know that you have a great deal of involvement with, and that is another website uh, there from the Sea Grant in Michigan called Freshwater Feasts, freshwaterfeasts.com. Um, what is this site all about? Freshwater Feasts is Michigan's Michigan Sea Grant's food blog, and we started it just for fun in, I think, 2016, 2017, right around when I joined the staff. And we wanted a way to showcase the fun fish dishes that our staff members were cooking up in their own kitchens or restaurants that were serving a, a fresh fish dish. And one of our staff members went there and took a couple pictures and wanted to share about how delicious it was. So we decided we were going to make this this blog where we could capture everything that had to do with eating Michigan fish species. And because I am the editor of this blog and I am not actually a seafood eater, I decided, you know what, we're going to expand it a little bit beyond that initial mandate. We're going to make it a blog that really celebrates recipes and dishes that are based in Michigan species that could be things that you catch out of the lakes or things that you forage on land that you could maybe find in your own backyard or in a farmer's market that is not necessarily an apple or a stick of celery or the, the items that are grown agriculturally, more the things that you can kind of come by slantwise. So we wanted it to be a place you could have fun with. I noticed the uh, Saskatoon mulberry pie. Um, which I which I thought was pretty interesting because those are native berries and the violet simple syrup is another one uh, that I, that kind of uh, took me by surprise. Uh, some really unique recipes on here as I'm just looking through coconut curry with bluegill. I mean these are really great um, and and fantastic ideas for people to um, you know go in their own kitchen and you know whether they buy fish and you know local fish in a market or store or catch it themselves you're providing them with a lot of of interesting ideas I, I know that you mentioned you know staff and, and others that might be cooking these in their um, their own kitchen how do you come up with these recipes um, and how I, and how do people submit them to you as well so most of the recipes come either from our staff members who by now have heard me pitch this idea so many times that I'm whispering in the back of their heads every time they cook fish. Um, we've had a few come in from partners that we work with in other nonprofits or elsewhere around the University of Michigan or Michigan State, which is where our program is housed. We've had um, one that was generated because we had a property manager at the office space that we rented before the pandemic who happened to mention going on vacation in the Upper Peninsula and he name dropped the place where he thought made the best fried fish and my radar went ping. And so I <laughs> asked him, could you write us a little bit of a, you know, a, a praise piece about this place and attach a photo. And so now we have a piece from our property manager about his, his favorite Northern Michigan uh, fish restaurant. So Mostly they have come kind of from word of mouth, me mm -hmm. hounding people to send uh, pictures of the mouthwatering things that they're making at home. Uh, but we have had a couple of folks that have sort of pitched um, 
pieces to us mostly uh, from elsewhere in the Sea Grant network. Yeah. Uh, what stands out to you? Anything, you know, really off the wall or, or came with an interesting story? Well, you know, I you mentioned the violet simple syrup. A lot of our recent posts have come from L. Lower, who is my coworker at a federal research lab here in Ann Arbor, they work with a database that tracks aquatic invasive species, and they are a skilled forager. They can go out into mm. their own backyard or out into the a park or the woods and find all sorts of really unexpected delicious things and whip them up into these surprisingly photogenic food items. So they contributed the violet simple syrup. They have a recipe for, I think it's a, a hickory bark syrup and oh, wow. um, a, a salt seasoning blend that uses wild leeks or ramps, as we call them, which are actually mm -hmm. uh, starting to grow right about now in mid yeah. to late April and May. And I just always am, always am tickled by the things that come from Elle's imagination. Um, and a piece that, a piece that wow. <laughs> has, has been my white whale that I've been trying to get one of our Ohio Sea Grant partners to write up. He had mentioned that his mother or grandmother had a turtle soup recipe. And Ooh. as soon as he mentioned that, I, I started gently nudging him over email. Hey, hey, I, Tori, I would love to share this, this soup recipe. And then uh, COVID happened and we kind of lost touch for a little while, reconnected at a conference last fall. And Tori came up to me and said, Geneva, I still want to send you that recipe for turtle soup for the blog. And I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to share it. I think it'll make a great piece. So keep stay tuned for that one. Well, I'm going to have to keep my eye peeled uh, for your colleague in Ohio uh, at the Stone Lab. I've been out there and um, I'm from Ohio. So, you know, I'll keep an eye out. And if I see anybody over there, I'm going to be like, do you know this person? Do they have a turtle soup recipe? They need to get it to Geneva in Michigan because we all need to know about it. That that sounds like that. It sounds like it's just such a lot of fun. It really is. It really is. And it's it's a great place to house anything from easy grilling tips that you can make on on your backyard charcoal grill for dinner, everything up to a elegant salmon recipe that you could use mm -hmm. to impress your dinner guests, uh, or beautiful sugar cookies that you can paint to look like fairly photorealistic uh, fish. Mm -hmm. Like that was our very first post on the blog was featuring a batch of astonishingly beautiful fish cookies that one of my coworkers made back in 2016 or 17. Oh, goodness. I, that's something that I would have never thought of. And I'm going to have to go back and take a look at that um, for sure. Um, what about the, the times of the year? I mean, do you find that holidays or the summertime, you know, people are coming and visiting freshwaterfeast.com more frequently? Summertime is definitely a hot time. That's when folks are going to the farmer's market, they're getting whitefish, they're getting walleye, they're catching perch, they're trying to figure out how to make the best of these beautiful fish products that they're either catching or purchasing from local producers. And so many of these recipes work really well on the grill. Um, and mm -hmm. so warm weather season is, is a perfect time to be diving in, whether you're making a simple filet with some salt, pepper, and lemon juice, or you're trying to make something more fancy and turn it into a whitefish taco. All very good ideas. Uh, now, I have to ask, because you've disclosed it, that you're not a seafood eater. <laughs> How do you navigate this, um, not eating 
uh, you know, some of the things that you obviously are trying to promote? So that's where I was happy to open up the the blog to be non-fish species. I've written posts about making garlic mustard pesto and some rhubarb muffins uh, with some rhubarb Ooh. that I got from my relatives. So it has it's been really nice having that freedom and that flexibility to just have fun with these foods. There's so many wonderful things, um, cherries and wild rice and mushrooms mm -hmm. that are delicious ways to enjoy the bounty that Michigan has to offer that doesn't necessarily have to come from the lake. Sure, sure. And complements it, though, very well as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking thinking about, you know, um, cher a cherry glaze with salmon, for example. I mean, wild rice with, with walleye or whitefish. I mean, there are so many different ways to integrate all these different forged flavors there from, from the region that it seems like the possibilities are endless. Absolutely. Yeah. The, there's so much potential. Now, wh why would you tell our listeners that it's important to eat local, whether it's fish from the Great Lakes or, you know, a cherries from, from Michigan? So being able to eat local is a really way to stay grounded in your community. So whether that means you're eating something that you picked with your own hands or that you bought from a local producer, you're keeping money, you're keeping effort, you're keeping passion in your own community alive. There's a lot of people who put a lot of effort into harvesting fish out of the Great Lakes. Our commercial fishing fleet is small but mighty. We have aquaculture producers and seafood processors that are fighting a really tough battle against cheaper imported seafood. Actually, 90% of the seafood that we eat in the United States is imported from other countries. And there's so much potential to bolster the industries that we have locally that are really keeping money in our own communities, that are helping provide business for these hardworking uh, producers, people that you might know, that you, you might be able to meet at a farmer's market or go out and see them at their dock. And Fresh Fish Finder that I mentioned earlier in this, in this conversation is a really great way to see who's in your own community, who's in your area that's pulling fish out of the water right now that could be on your plate by dinner time today. Wow, I mean, I think you make a great argument. Um, highlighting how much of, you know, the local economy and the local culture is connected back to these, um, these natural resources, um, and how we can all do our part by staying connected to the land and to the lakes, um, by, you know, getting these, this, these kind of, you know, fresh products, whether it be fish or, or foraged items. Um, I definitely, uh, you know, am, going to go to these websites and check it out and see um, next time, you know, I'm in my neighboring state of Michigan from Ohio, uh, see where I can maybe pick up some of this. Uh, and always in, in our neck of the woods, I mean, we are perch and walleye. Lake Erie is, is my lake, as I like to say, as an Ohioan. Um, so we always celebrate perch and walleye here. And, and I'm sure that, um, you know, the uh, the selections that you have there and the four great lakes surrounding Michigan are equally as celebrated. Geneva, we're so happy that you were um, able to take some time and share your experiences and these wonderful resources with our listeners who I know are all going to want to go out and figure out how they can eat local uh, in Michigan and around the great lakes. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Capri. Bon appetit, everyone. 
It's that time again, but you don't want to miss our next guest, Chef Lee Mueller, who's going to share her secrets to flavorful fish caught in the Great Lakes. Stick around. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm Capri Cafaro, and our last guest joining us for today's show is Chef Wee Mueller. You can find Chef Wee at the Kuwina Mountain Lodge in Copper Harbor, Michigan. Chef Wee, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Capri. So first, tell me just a a little bit about your background to put, put you and your work in the kitchen in some context. So a quick uh, summary, um, I was born and raised and lived in Lebanon. Uh, these are where my roots are from. You grow up in a certain culture, um, no matter how much education you get, uh, which I did for three years of culinary and pastry um, at Sullivan University in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so, uh, the, the way you handle food, the way you flavor your food, uh, your, your culture comes through, uh, with how you express yourself. Absolutely. The flavors you develop, even though, um, as you had mentioned and you had already known, um, we do approach different cuisines every week, you know, with our fixed menu, uh, multi-course meal. So, so let me let me just stop you there and and ask a little bit about um, the environment there at the the tasting post and uh, what that approach is like because you know you mentioned it is you know you you're featuring different dishes um, you know you're rotating through different types of of cuisines and tastes so it's not really it's a restaurant but it's not your average restaurant there at the um, at the resort. You're right. Uh, so, uh, to be pre- uh, to be precise, uh, June of 2022 and onward, we're still with that, and we are not going to change. We switched to only uh, a fixed price uh, multi-course meal, and that had allowed uh, me uh, to to be the one cooking and the one serving. So you create an intimate experience with your guests where I limit the number of guests I receive per night, except for Sundays, to only 12 12 people. They don't have to be together, but I don't take more than 12 people. And I factor in two and a half hours to three hours um, uh, seat, you know, uh, enjoyment of the multi-course meal. Uh, this is uh, completed uh, with introduction of the food, the thought behind it, why am I putting this flavor with this? And, the, uh, and then it gives them an, not just the taste, the, the, the food itself, but the, the, the process of how I came about to, to, to create it that way was the idea. Uh, what cuisine influenced it? How did I change a, a certain, uh, maybe it could be a traditional way of preparing a dish. It could be, I don't know, the, from Morocco, from Lebanon. And why, what did I add to it that will bring it closer to home, yet that 
worldly flavor to it. So give so, me some examples of, of, of some of the dishes that you make and how you incorporate those local flavors, those, um, you know, uh, ingredients that might be harvested in, in Michigan or the fish from the Great Lakes. Uh, and yes. you, you put your own twist on it. Yes. For example, uh, the, the fish that uh, uh, we get at the restaurant, um, it's, I, I choose to offer it in the summer. So um uh, when when you whatever product you are working with you have to understand it and and then you create the profile of flavors you want to do with it sure. so for example traditionally here in the kiwana it's very uh, common every friday they do the fish fry um mm-hmm. w- which uh for many reasons I avoided altogether deep frying things in in the kitchen, in our kitchen. Mm -hmm. So you have two fish that are well uh, thriving in the lakes. Um, There are other fishes, but mainly with the white, they call it the white fish and they have the trout. So the white fish is, I prefer to make it with herbs, for example, white Mm -hmm. wine. This is where the Mediterranean comes through. Uh, yes. sometime I branch out and I do black olives. So black olives are not coming from a can. I choose to do the black olives coming from Morocco because they are olive oil cured and they are sea salt cured. Uh, mm-hmm. so they have, they, if, if you like the flavors of olives, it will, it will shine through and it enhances, uh, the zest of the lemon, uh, fresh lemon, a little bit of olive oil, keep it simple. And the, the, the offering it, the French would call it en papillote, meaning wrapped yeah. in, in um, parchment paper. Parchment paper. Right? Yeah. So that is your French influence of how you are baking it. And then the Mediterranean altogether, whether you call it Lebanese, uh, Italian, French, whatever, because we all use uh, green onions, herbs, uh, tomatoes uh, with our food in the summer. So this is how you accumulate the ideas. Now, when I'm doing trout, I have played, and this is where you introduce some things that are very American. What do I mean by very American? Like trout is more robust. It can handle uh, certain flavors. I like to go the Asian route. What mm-hmm. do I mean? Like this is where you create a barbecue sauce where you, 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 you add it to the fish when you are baking it. Again, I don't do uh, pan searing except for, let's say, tuna. Um, where does the American influence come through? In that barbecue sauce, I use, for example, uh, uh, the, I, I love the Woodford Reserve bourbon. So mm-hmm. that is this punch in your face in a good way <laughs> right <laughs> that uh, offsets the the gin the grated ginger uh the the sesame oil um, roasted sesame oil so you build the flavor of the asian profile mm-hmm. and then that uh, warmth of the woodford reserve adds that it rounds up the barbecue sauce and it can handle it you're not drowsing it with it but accentuating the fish and uh, there you go. So you have the Asian influence, still clean cut uh, flavors on your tongue. And you have the fish that is from here, from the lake. So this is how I 
Maddie flavors. No, it's 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 a real it's a real fusion. What about produce or any other ingredients? Do you um, get them locally or try to source local? Some of our produce. Uh, so we have here right next door, right next door, maybe maybe three miles away, two miles away here in town. So Lake Effect Farm is a local farm here that grows certain produce and great lettuces and uh, certain kind of kale and herbs. So I buy specifics from them, but I don't buy everything from them, meaning everything I need, uh, I buy specifics from them. And an example would be Lacinato kale, because I love how fresh it is. And it's, uh, and then I can get, I get to buy a limited quantity versus having to buy 20 pounds of it, for example. Uh, and this has been helpful with, uh, with the fact that I limit the number of people, as I mentioned. Then I can control how much I need to buy of something. Um, uh, but let's say if I have a wedding, and I'm featuring, I have like 150 people. It's not um, conducive for me to buy all 150, you know, uh, uh, necessary lettuces from them. But when I have specifics for private dining, then it makes sense if I buy a certain number of heads and a, a more artisan style of, uh, or uh, not the generic lettuce that you would buy. Right. No, sure. I mean, you're bringing this more more tender greens to the table. Yes, yes. Uh, so, and then they have, uh, for example, really amazing uh, mixed greens. You know, these are beautiful. And uh, there you go. That all sounds delicious. I mean, I, I definitely, um, you know, if people are not motivated to go up there after listening to this. I don't know what <laughs> it's, I mean, what a wonderful place uh, to try to find and, and taste Great Lakes fish with this really, you know, unique and fresh approach. Yes. Yes. Uh, again, in summary, you have to understand your product that you are working with and then you create the flavors around it. Well, you certainly do understand that the, the um, you know, all of the ingredients, it sounds like that you choose to work with, but um, the way that you describe the differences between the whitefish and the trout and how you approach the, them and how you build upon both fish as kind of a, a blank slate, um, understanding that, you know, whitefish, um, you know, is a, is, a, is a lighter fish than the trout and can, and can take on different flavor profiles than than the trout can, you know, it really does give uh, folks a a good idea of, um, you know, what kind of, um, what kind of palate exists there um, in the Great Lakes with the different type of fish that, that come from the lakes and how you use that in your work uh, there at the tasting post um, at the uh, Kiwana Mountain Lodge in Car- Copper Harbor. I do want to ask a couple questions about that because, again, we are focusing on the Great Lakes here. Copper Harbor, Michigan and the Kiwana Mountain Lodge, are they're right there on the lake, right? Yeah, we are, uh, uh, in essence, one mile from the lake, from the actual lake. Okay. So, the, 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 and, and lakes, lake, which lake are you on again? Uh, lake Superior. Okay, so you're on Lake Superior. Um, yes. So, so yes. you fo- do you focus on the fish from Lake Superior then or other Great Lakes fish too? 
Yeah, well, to be uh, to be frank, to be frank, meaning uh, there are two. We buy from two purveyors, you know, and they mm-hmm. are local. Uh, one of them is Peterson Fish Market, and they are uh, in 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 Houghton area. Mm-hmm. But they have their own boats and they fish in Lake Superior. I see. Now, I never tried to, let's say, um, uh, uh, buy uh, uh, salmon, for example, from the lake. I just did not. Uh, but but then whenever I decide to branch out into the salmon, I can ask, is it uh, coming from Lake Michigan? Is it from Lake Superior? Uh, but because I limited myself to those two fishes and I know they are from Lake Superior, there you go. Right. I stayed with them. That makes sense. I do know that, uh, um, I do know because uh, I, I don't know it directly, but from, from hearing, uh, from people from the area, um, um, the Indian population who are the native, who are the, you mm-hmm. know, they were the real deal here. Uh, I think they have their own way of fishing and they sell them through. I don't know how they do it. In one of these episodes, actually, we spoke with um, an individual um, from the Lake Superior Chippewa who, um, you know, is in, uh, engaging in commercial fishing using indigenous practices. So you're absolutely right um, that, you know, uh, Native Americans, indigenous people um, are fishing in the Great Lakes and they do have a different approach um, to, to the way that they, that they fish and, and their sustainable practices, which, which, which brings something else unique to the table for sure. Yes, it's very important uh, for when I say for us, because for me, it's not about just the lead in the kitchen or the lead of any department. We are a group. We are a team, you know. Mm-hmm. So the two people we are, myself and my colleague, um, we have this policy, no waste goes in our kitchen. Uh, um, meaning, let's say if I want to buy a certain quantity of something, I know I have plan A, plan B, plan C. If I use what I use, what can I do with the rest? How do I offer it in a really um, new approach? Uh, uh, I don't know. Like uh, talking back about the fishes, um, that is really neat. Like uh, they are like dumplings. You can make the dough by hand Mm -hmm. and then you can uh, uh, bake the fish. You can flavor it the way you want and you do those little dumplings and you can offer them as an appetizer. Uh, Let's say say we have the fish delivered to us. From my stand, I mean, I know the person who's selling it to us will have to drive. Yeah, they charge a little, a very small amount to drive out the way here, but I want to make it... um, uh, worthwhile for that person. Sure. Uh, so uh, knowing, let's say I need maybe six pounds of fish, I'll, I end up buying 12 so that it makes worthwhile the business for that person. So they keep on delivering to us. Mm-hmm. See? So, so I will have plan B for that extra six pounds of fish to do something different with it. So this is where I'm trying to say uh, as a conscious chef, you don't waste. You help by how you practice your trade because it's it's a, it's actually a craft. How you practice your craft, you're helping the others, you're helping the environment, and you're helping yourself 
to make your restaurant successful. So it's it's Absolutely. not just about you and and the guests you are serving. You want the guests to be very happy to take a memory with them. That's what we try to create. You create an experience for them through the food. I love it. Well, I want to come and experience this food. <laughs> Chef you. We, you clearly, you know, put your heart and soul into this uh, and have provided a great example to our listeners on what it means to um, prepare locally sourced Great Lakes fish with um, a great deal of kindness and creativity. So um, we appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us and to share your story. Thank you so much. And thank you for reaching to us and uh, uh, wish you all the success and, uh, and spreading the good word, right? That's right. Same to you. Thank you so much. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.